Exotica. Welcome to a new monthly episode of the Fan Engagement Pod, which we're calling Baz Chat, where me, Kevin Wright, and new co-host Baz Schneider go into more detail about fan engagement, tapping into his vast knowledge of an interest in what's happening in fan engagement now. We take a particular look at activations, sponsorships and partnerships between brands and rights holders. I'm hoping to pick up some new ideas and learn from one of the best in the business. It will be out on the last Thursday of every month. We'll still be publishing the usual pod, of course, with a different guest each Tuesday, finding out about their approach to fan engagement, what motivates them to do it the way they do, and why. Don't forget you can join the fan engagement network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join. We're introducing some exclusive member services soon. And by the way, if you want to find out more about the title track to this episode, it is called Exotica and is by the Juanitos. You can find their albums at Free Music Archive. Welcome to Baz Chat number two part of the fan engagement pod series sorry for the brief break in late december i came down with covid19 like many of you out there and had to cancel i'm better now and raring to go now we're back and in this episode we chat about how to ensure that insight from the fans is part of how you work with your commercial partners and vice versa not as some kind of necessary evil or a break on something negative or bad but as a positive way of ensuring that you get the most out of your sponsorship, activation and commercial partnerships. Don't forget we've got loads more episodes of the Fan Engagement Pod out every Tuesday, including this week, Fiona Green from Winners. The next episode is out next Tuesday and every Tuesday. Listen via the usual channels. And by the way, in this episode, there is a, a bit of a break where we had to uh, record the episode over two separate days. So there'll be just a brief interlude between the two parts Hope you enjoy the episode and don't forget to join the Fan Engagement Network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join. It's, it's funny, I've, I've, when I was sending you, I, I sent you yesterday the, um, what I wanted to talk about today, about the, the fan resistance to naming rights sponsorships and this just now at six, a different fan resistance element jumped into mind, which is... Yeah. There's actually, there, there's been a huge, massive, massive, massive event that, about fans that everyone has seen in the last week. Right. Remind Cap me, Baz. Capitol Hill riots. The what? Capitol, Capitol Hill, Hill riots. Oh, no, you were you, I saw you were tweeting about this, about how, yeah, about the behavior of crowds in, in their literal sense, and I suppose also in their sense, in the sense of online, not necessarily physical gatherings go on tell me what tell me what your musings are Baz if I thought if I start talking about it now will you already can you already use it in the we're already, using, we're already recording Baz I we're like already it. recording good stuff all right yeah. but what well I've, I've, I've been looking at these events with a with a with a lot of um how do you say it a lot of a lot of a lot of interest because I want to keep out the entire layer of political mindsets I mean, there's 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 everything to be said about that, but there are far bigger experts around that topic than, than I am. Um, but what's interesting is that we saw during the Capitol Hill riots that there's been some sort of a um, 
a fan engagement push over to a political sphere. Uh, how we see that the followers of Donald Trump are so blindly following the ideologies that he is uh, pushing out. It reminds me a lot of fanatic sports fans um, where they also blindly defend uh, their, their, their team, obviously, and, and the performance of their team and, and are very much working in this sort of in-group, out-group perspective. And this is something that's now happening with a massive polarization in America and maybe even also in, in Europe uh, with uh, left and right becoming, they were always opposites, but on paper, but now actually with the opinion on mindsets, you can see that they are becoming the exact opposites. It's, I, I saw last week a sort of a politicization of fan engagement. And um, because of that, I'm not a political scientist, so I cannot say anything about politics, but I can say something about fan engagement, I believe. And I find it interesting that um, we haven't seen this for over, what was it, 80 years? This is something that, of course, happened in before the Second World War erupted again. Uh, before the Second World War started, we've seen also these massive um, blind followings out of uh, out of an e in sort of an in-group and out-group perspective, which is a very common. Um, so, so you've done what we what we what we would call, and I should think you've got a similar and probably ruder version of it in in um, in Dutch, because mm -hmm. you've done you've gone and opened what we say is a can of worms. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and one one thing that's just worth pointing out to anyone who's listening is but, is yeah. is that well is that in no sense are you suggesting that football fans are a mirror image of Donald Trump, uh, the followers of Donald Trump in their most extreme, and we're not talking about QAnon uh, and the following of um, uh, um, cult-like ideals. But we're talking about a lot of the dynamics and the loyalties well, is what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. Don't... But can I ask you, Baz, can I ask you, because this is important to clarify this, I think, uh, given you pick such a sensitive subject, is how are you relating this back to fan engagement specifically? You did mention fan engagement, but yeah. what what's this about the blind... Sometimes blind loyalty, and I have to say it's not all the time, but it, it's not unusual to find blind loyalty in football fans, and we can be very, very defensive about our clubs, can't we? Mm -hmm. So, do you want to do you want to go into that a little bit? Well, yeah. Let me first put one thing straight. I'm not saying that Capitol Hill rioters are football fans, or that football fans are Capitol Hill rioters, but I see a similarity in behavior in. Um, very diehard fanatic football fans. Uh, we've all seen uh, movies such as Green Street Hooligans, uh, etc. as well. Uh, we know how West Ham fans and Millwall fans are against each other. They, they, they cross the line of violence um, rather than verbally protecting their club and their group. And there's something that happened with the Capitol Hill riots as well, that the same elements of behavior have have shown there as well that um, indeed fans of Donald Trump were uh, crossing the line of, of adding violence to their ideology. And that part in intrigued me. Up until this point, um, 
we could that we were always able to say, okay, Donald Trump has fans, he has followers, but they are his fans because they protect ideology. They they use the same uh, same things as as we recognize in sports. They have symbols, for example, MAGA, the Make America Great Again. It's a very strong symbol, which you could compare to any. Um, any uh, nickname that you could give to a sports club, for example. Uh, we can see that there's a lot of uh, verbal defense of ideology against, uh, in, their, in their sense, uh, or in their example, the Republicans against the Democrats. And that is something that we also recognize between uh, football clubs and their nearest rivals. So there's there's some some very strong elements that I recognize from the fan engagement expertise, which I also recognize in in um, in pop culture, in in music fans, for example. But also I saw that on the Capitol Hill, and I'm gonna write a blog post about this because mm. I think that we are in the sports industry, we are more familiar with fan engagement than they are in a political environment. So I feel that there are certain learnings that we can cross over from our, uh, our experience with sports fan engagement that can be applied to better understand political fan engagement. Do we think maybe, let's, um, let's unravel it a little bit more, mm -hmm. maybe, um, what we're trying to kind of get at here is, and I think I touched on it, is um, is we're talking about the dynamics of loyalty and the crowd, the group, the belonging, yeah. all those sorts of things. And, and, and one of the big things that um, football and sport loyalty to a team, to a club does is it generate it, it, in, in and out groups, you know, for, 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 for 90 minutes or, you know, 80 if you're watching. For life rugby you're you 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 are you are behind one team and against another certainly yes. in football particularly um but you know it's not necessarily even that you're against the other it's it's the very least that you're for your own you're now against what, the, your closest rival yeah so but what i want to try and, what i want to try and do baz is i want to try most unlike me i love i love the sort of sociological and political chats about mm -hmm. uh, uh, things like this and and cults and belonging and those sorts of things and and and, and religious groups extreme religious groups things have been an absolute fascination me for me since, since literally since i was a teenager i've read books on them all that sort of stuff what i want to do is take it in a commercial direction what i want to do is say look is is it sounds a bit clunky to go from where you were talking about the capitol hill um, you know, the attempt, the attempt to overthrow the government of the United States by Donald Trump and his supporters yeah. to um, commercial transactions. But the interesting bit is actually how you understand if you're someone um, with a with a mind for commercial decisions. Right. If you are not careful, you can look at that and go, right, that means I can really exploit them. Because I can, mm -hmm. I can look at these people. Let's just talk about fans. I can look at these people. I can, I can see where I can make money out of them, and I can make a lot of money out of these yeah. people because they will buy any old piece of crap that I print the the the, the club badge on, right? And I am parodying. This is I'm going to the furthest extent of 
the well, person we, we like should have, so, right. so, well tell so tell me about tell me about how you do this yeah. you do it respectfully because actually loyalty loyalty comes in all sorts of forms and it can come in a very extreme form as you talked about mm -hmm. but it can come in a form where if you work with it it can be a real benefit and you can benefit commercially from it if you do it respectfully which kind of ties into what your original subject was going to be yeah. you know and about things like associations with why do people have this problem with fans some fans fans have this problem with choosing commercial partners and affiliation deals and things like that so so how what about the respectful the respectful pursuing of commercial relationships and commercial deals in, in you know in a way that respects that that extraordinary you know almost madness sometimes that we suffer as fans for our, yeah. for our clubs and that we'll, we'll do anything so uh, tell me a bit about that because i think that's something you know an awful lot about well i i think that um we we have seen a commercial layer to um being a fan of donald trump which is all the merchandise that is going around it as well you can i've, I've seen so many items which had um, phrases on it uh, about Donald Trump or the Make America Great Again. I'm not sure how they've organized that commercially, but of course, it's very interesting that there's some sort of there's that there's definitely a license agreement that has been put in place here. Or Trump himself even has made a lot of money on all the uh, on all the merchandise that has been sold here. Again, I do not know the insights on that part, but. I recognize a lot of elements that we are familiar with in sports that I now have seen in the political sphere as well. Um, and bringing that back is, that's obviously, that's a, a, a sort of bridging to the topic where we wanted to uh, talk about uh, today in the first place, is um, that fans, we, we, we've mentioned this before, there are different types of fans, fans that, have have a very strong affection for that external identification um wearing anything that has a club logo on it or and the type of fans that don't do that they have a different um, interpretation of what it means to be a fan of a club now clubs know this clubs know obviously that that type of fandom is is uh is is present and clubs for in the in the for as long as we know, clubs have always found ways to commercialize this fandom. Uh, and I'm now gonna bridge this a bit into sponsorships uh, because uh, clubs obviously know that the association with a club, which is basically what sponsorships are about, it's association of a, a commercial uh, organization, uh, insurance company, whatever, or a bank to a club has some value in it. And it could be monetary value, it could be association value, brand uh, image, um, uh, improved brand image, uh, for example. And that's something that fans have have um, protested again uh, against for a long time as well. And we still see that that there's a lot of protest. Where um, I think that um, because I read a very interesting paper a couple of weeks uh, ago about fan resistance to naming uh, right sponsorships. I found it a fascinating article, which really 
dived into a problem which we're going to see a lot these days because let, let me let me bridge this a bit into the context of where we are now uh, obviously there's the coronavirus uh, still kicking around hard um, there have been barely any uh, fans to stadiums worldwide um, for a year or so I don't see that change anytime soon unless you live in Australia and New Zealand and uh, wow, I'm jealous of them uh, that they can sit in full stadiums and nothing's going on there. So, but the rest of the world still has a massive problem. Uh, what that means is that there's a, there's a huge commercial um, aspect that has fallen away, which is uh, revenues, ticket revenues, uh, match day revenues, etc. So clubs have a huge are starting to create huge debts uh, if they didn't had already, which needs to be compensated. So I'm pretty sure that clubs are going to start uh, trying to look around in ways on how they can uh, generate new income streams, reevaluate their sponsorship portfolios. And one of those elements that will pop up is the uh, naming rights of the stadium. And these three researchers, David Wojcicklager, uh, uh, Vanessa Hasselhoff and Christoph Bauchhaus, um, two from Germany, one from uh, Newcastle, have researched uh, the resistance of fans um, to uh, stadium naming rights and in particular this example with uh, Borussia Dortmund for example um, and they, they, they mentioned a couple of very interesting uh, things in there it's where they say that the resistance is mostly built on a part of um, uh, again considering that in-group and out-group perspective so and so fans are um, fans are very much protective on their in-group. And if an invader comes along, like a, a brand that uh, starts sponsor uh, starts to sponsor a stadium, that is something that fans get resistant about. And we've seen that in the example of what they what they talk about in the in the paper with um, Borussia Dortmund when the Westfalen Stadium got named into the Signal Iduna Park, which was um, of crucial necessity. The club was about to fall over financially and, 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 and would cease to exist. So they had no other choice than to reevaluate their, their association portfolio, uh, shirt sponsors, uh, stadium sponsors, and to sell those rights to, for the highest bidder, to survive. And um, side note, how fascinating is this as a, um, from a business perspective, name any other business uh, or industry where this would happen, but in sports, it's all, uh, it's all possible. Um, but yeah, anyway, the, the, the resistance, what they had is uh, that, um, for example, the Signal Iduna brand, it's an assurance company in Germany, has a blue logo, which also the Schalke team has, which is the arch enemy of Dortmund. So there was a lot of resistance on that as well. And again, we see the in-group and out-group um, conflict where the, the, the yellow and blacks are do not want to be associated with simple, uh, simple um, uh, symbols like a blue color, which they associate with um, with Schalke. So very interesting. And uh, these researchers have done, um, have, have researched this by uh, surveying uh, fans of Dortmund around match days, but also online. Um, and what they found 
is that that uh, there are a couple of elements that are important for um, uh, a couple of elements that are important for fans whether they where that resistance is coming from. Um, for example, the results from the from the, the uh, from this research is that 74% of the, the fans still mention the stadium by its old name instead of the signal Iduna Park. And I think we all can relate to this, that as soon as a stadium, which is, an, is a symbol, as a symbol uh, uh, is, is considered as such by the fan base, then of course they, they, are, they have a lot of resistance to using the commercial new name this is all, always something that uh, sponsors yeah. should consider and clubs as well just uh i mean looking at um i've got i've got the um the website up here for signal Iduna park um i suppose there are a couple there are a couple of things here is um and i you know i can't I, this is not an issue i know about um uh, and that's part of the reason we have you on um <laughs> is is that I suppose that, well, there's what one major thing is I'd be interested to know when it comes to making a decision like this, although um although it, it was it, it as you said it was um it was made necessary, it was necessary by, yeah no, by the financial situation. They had no other choice. What, exactly. One one thing I would say is the way in which they manage that um will be determined partly by the way and this is why what i always try to point out with with people who talk about how clubs make decisions mm -hmm. is it will be it will be Im impacted by the way that they own and run the club so i'm not saying i mean they have to be minimum um 50 plus one owned by uh, the, the professional football club mm -hmm. has to be 50 one plus one owned by the fans you know um i'm not saying that forces you to make non-commercial decisions or decisions that are commercially bad for, for a club but in a decision like that they would be having to think about that element of it so the idea of fan engagement as a strategic perspective on the relationship between fans and club it will just be programmed into that even though it's a difficult decision they'll be thinking okay well we need to mitigate that problem then don't we they won't just be going right well we're just going to go for the first deal we find and it doesn't matter how bad it looks the point is the money because they'll always be thinking They'll be saying, look, we have to do this. We don't have a choice. But we're going to need to find a way to make it easier and to mitigate. Exactly. Right. So that this is when this is when, um, you know, picking a, an example like that, um, in a sense, it, it actually shows up the distinction between how a club in Germany has to manage it because it's mandated to and it's part of its culture mm -hmm. versus how another club might manage it, where they'll do it because it's a financial decision. But actually, did you did you consult with your fans about that? For example, um, well, you have to create a means to do it in a club that doesn't have a significant part of fan, fan engagement. Being it has to inter, it has to integrate the views of fans into its decision making, especially big strategic decisions or big decisions like that. So actually, this flags up where fan engagement as a structured piece of work impacts on commercial decisions that you make because it makes them have to think about how their fans feel about it doesn't it 
Well, yeah, of course. And it, it's, this is an interesting conflict because this is a conflict we, we see all the time in the fan engagement domain. Where does commercialization roll over fan engagement? And until where is the border of what, what fan influence should and could, can be? Uh, and where does that stop? Because um, I do believe, I, I, I mean, I've worked for a club myself as well, and I've, I still do consultancy for clubs. I understand that clubs need to have that um, freedom of, of choosing which sponsor they can. But if they want the, the, ultimate, um, the ultimate match, say that the fans would also agree and feel comfortable, that would actually amplify the effects of such a, uh, of such a sponsorship. And that's something that, that's been researched uh, in this paper as well. If, if we can say that um, fans can have an influence on sponsorship. about the naming rights sponsorships of a stadium, which was where this research is about. It's, it's, it's more about how can I make this as relevant as possible to the fans as well, because one of the goals always, 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 always with a, with a partnership is not only um, uh, to be visible, uh, but also to, to create some sort of a brand loyalty, to use the club's loyalty to spill over into uh, product loyalty for a uh, for a sponsor. So if that is the case, then you cannot just slap any name that pays the most um, on the front of the stadium and say this stadium is now uh, the uh, the IKEA Stadium, for example. In uh, to give it a Swedish uh, example, what is what I think that that clubs could do better is, and that's why this research was so important, is understand what the impact is of a um, what the impact is of fan resistance on the success of these type of partnerships and that's a bit what what this research makes so interesting uh, where we talked about the example of the signal Iduna Park stadium for Borussia Dortmund which was a financial necessity um, in 2004 when the club almost went bankrupt uh, yet, uh, more than uh, 75% of the fans names the stadium still by its old name. And I recognize it from the club that I used to work at as well. Uh, they, uh, as at Alkmaar, it's called the AFA Stadium, but they call it, for, exa for example, the, um, the Vittori Stadium, which is the, a name that fans really uh, like more. And we see... Uh, similar attitudes of fans with, uh, for example, um, worshipping the old crest, even if it's already 20 years ago. Uh, Ajax fans have this as well. They worship the old crest of Ajax, where the new one is far more uh, elegant and, and modern, but still fans always, the real fans are the ones that have the old crest on their jersey, for example. And that's, that's understanding what fan resistance what creates this fan resistance can could help uh, both the club and the sponsor to come with uh, with more relevant uh, partnerships. And, and let's give me. Uh, 
what this research has showed uh, is that fan resistance is negatively related to brand attitude. Makes sense. So if a uh, if fans do not um, support the name, uh, the the brand name, or do not identify the brand that is the naming sponsor of the stadium, they will not use the name. And therefore, what is the whole point of a naming uh, stadium? Naming a stadium. There's there's often there's uh, in the Netherlands there's a uh, a, a metal uh, manufacturer that names a stadium. Nobody uses it by that name. And there's 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 a cleaning. Uh, there's a major cleaning organization that names a stadium. Not many fans use that name. And that that's a bit of the thing. That's that's something that clubs can use in a clever way. And I will get to it some example solutions later on. A second element of fan resistance is uh, that it's, um, it shows that, as I said, the positive word of mouth, it has a negative influence on positive word of mouth. So if fans do not recognize that, uh, brand, that brand as, the, as, the, the, yeah, as the name, basically the naming rights partner of the stadium, they will not use it anyways. In fact, they will talk le uh, less positive, therefore more negative about uh, a brand and that's that's something that that uh, immediately harms the commercial benefits of such a partnership therefore this is a key thing to realize uh, to, um, to 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 understand yeah. but, but just I mean this sounds like a really stupid question and it probably is a really stupid question but I've always learned stupid questions do not exist but uh, no I think no and actually, that's, go. <laughs> I think that's why I think there's no such thing as a stupid question um, apart from will my hair, uh, will I set my hair on fire if I put a lighted match to it? That's uh -huh. if I were you, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> well, I don't have any hair, so that helps. Exactly. Um, You've already did it. You've already done it. <laughs> yeah, I took a razor to it anyway, not a match. <laughs> um, is um, what? Why do brands actually? What do the what the brands? Um, I mean, I'm assuming there's no straightforward answer, but I'm assuming there are. Well, I'm assuming there are trends at least in this. Is but what? What are brands actually doing when they associate with football in that way? When, when, when someone, um, when it, when a company sponsors, let's say a big ticket item sponsors a stadium, mm -hmm. what are they trying to achieve? What is what are they actually trying to do? Brand recognition is one of the key things. Because, so, yeah. so, so if brand recognition is one of the key things, mm -hmm. um. There's two sides to this. Does it really matter if 20 or 30,000 fans or 40,000 fans even don't use that name? A lot of the loyal fans, particularly, you know, the hardcore fans. Um, and is it the case that actually what really matters is that when you're reading it, when you're reading the results, you know, and the venues there, it's got the venue name, for example. And the venue name is, you know, let's, you know, think about Arsenal has always been the same name since it was since it was built. I can't yeah. even remember what its name was meant to be. What was it? What its original name was, if you like, before it was sponsored. Um, so so in a sense, you kind of look at it and go, well, actually, does does that really matter that these fans don't really recognise that name and they do refer to it as the old one? Because actually it's the external brand wrestling. Yeah. Makes, makes. Even if it's called, you know, I don't know the, 
you know, the Amsterdam toilet seat stadium and they spend 50 million pounds, 50 million euros on the sponsorship deal. Yeah. All the fans still call it by its real name. So who cares? Well, yes, of course. And that's, that's uh, saying all official communications, the name of that stadium will be used, though no one is making them. Uh, often in media, stadiums are being called by what stadiums are known for and uh, not, by, not always by its official name. So that, that's it. Having your, uh, as a brand, having your name uh, as part of the stadium name does not always guarantee that you will be mentioned more, but it's very, very, very likely, obviously. Uh, but to a lesser extent with B2B brands, but B2C brands, yes, it is very important to have, um, it does matter. Because if your brand name is negatively associated with a large group of potential consumers, they're less likely to buy. This is not even something we need to uh, show academic evidence of, uh, of, which probably exists, but this is a, a logical fact. If you are negative about a brand, you don't buy products from that brand. So yes, it does matter. And if this group is very strong in, in maintaining its, its, its symbols, in respecting its, its all the symbols, and you just slap your commercial name on top of it, uh, yeah, it, it changes in a negative sense the brand perception. So are we a lot of commercial benefits. So a lot of the time, and we are concentrating on stadia, but I would say this applies to all sorts of other associations with football. It can, it can apply to all, all yeah. other sorts, yeah. But 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 what we what we what we seem to be kind of heading towards when we're when we're thinking about this subject is that it it and I, and it it's reflecting on a conversation i had earlier it's a you know i have a lot of obviously i pre-recorded these are all pre-recorded mm -hmm. and i tended to, as i explained to you earlier i tend to do a big stack of them and i was talking to yeah. stuart dykes stuart dykes from supporters from sd europe can't call it supporters Direct europe it's sd europe earlier and he oversees the SLO project. Okay. Um, um, work, working, working uh, a fund, the UEFA funded project for for Esther Europe. Um, and, and, and we were sort of talking about the culture and how support liaison officers should be um, that's what I call the torch bearers. You know, they're the people who 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 know the culture of the football club, and it's a really yeah. good role to have. Yeah. And what we what we what we seem to talk about a lot is. That commercial activity is absolutely fundamental to the success, even to the to the operation of a football club. Has to it has to be there. But mm -hmm. we we seem to always be coming to this point that if you're going to run a business like a football club, then you need to understand its purpose beyond simply sucking in money and spitting out wages for players. And you need yeah. to. <laughs> and if you're going to do it, then yeah, okay, you can do it by simply signing a deal with the Amsterdam Toilet Seat Company uh -huh. and slapping that on your stadium. But mm -hmm. actually, it doesn't stay true to what you are. And you might be successful with it, but actually this starts to talk to deeper things. And it's one of the things that even marketers are really trying to grapple with now is purpose. What yeah. am I actually doing all this for? So, so when we look at it, you know, actually, there's a perfectly good commercial argument for saying... Yeah, sign a deal with whoever you want because it is about the largest amount of money you can get. But actually, every trend that you look at, certainly in English football over the last 10 years, 15 years, I would say, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit longer than that, is about moving the club much closer towards 
uh, a sort of a model where you have well, it's tried to do the the international spectacular um, global super brands, and yeah, yeah, there's an element of that to every every big big club, absolutely, definitely. There's a domestic and an international. But exactly, but yeah. there is such a strong need to be rooted in your domestic yes. um, environment, and Man United are, are doing so much work in the local community now that tells you, and so it's sort of. That tells you what you need to know about actually what clubs really are. They're very, yeah. They have to be very rooted. So, so actually, this is a more interesting discussion that isn't simply the ones you tend to hear when people talk about commercial relationships and football. Is how much can you get out of this deal? It's what you're doing the deal for. What's it gonna What's it gonna say about your club to all the people you work? You, you could get a defence contractor, British Aerospace. <laughs> could sponsor Manchester United or Chelsea, but my God, it would damage them as a club because yes. they build weapons which yes. kill people. And it doesn't yes. matter whether you think they're legitimate yes. or not. So so actually, this really does start to speak to deeper issues, doesn't it? This does start to talk to deeper issues. This is a very important area that we don't look at as much yet as football industry because i get all the commercial uh commercial aspects that are related to this but um what this this uh this uh, study also showed is that one of the solutions that they propose is they see positive brand uh, attitudes if a sponsorship is explained in the right way so rather than just slapping the name again on the stadium explain to the fans what um first of all try to find a relevant partnership that will will benefit the fans as well if we would name the stadium in amsterdam the heineken stadium which is a quite realistic scenario it shows very clear benefit they're not gonna get budweiser into the stadium anymore for example so there's there's already a clear fan experience benefit out of that which i could understand now, that example will never happen because it's already the Yoke Drive Arena and that's, that's now the symbol of the city. So that's never going to happen anymore. Um, but uh, so, so there are two aspects. The one, is, one of them is, okay, uh, see if there's a direct benefit for the fan. If not, explain what you can do with the benefit that you will get from it as a club. For example, why not say okay because we have this insurance company as the naming sponsor of the stadium we can now pay for safe standing uh, seats and that explanation is something i miss uh, in a lot of partnerships explain to fans re reduce this fan resistance by explaining why what you can do with that money okay baz this is this this is good because actually this speaking to you know, kind of speaking to purpose and then speaking to an understanding of what a club is and what it needs. I mm -hmm. hadn't thought of that because I was thinking, oh, so what Baz is going to tell me now is that you provide cheap insurance deals. Well, of course, that will be part. Yeah. Of <laughs> That'll be the nice data answer from me, well, from my side. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, that will be part of it. Undoubtedly, yeah. every fan will get a discounted insurance package. However, the bit that the, 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 the bit you're saying is, is actually what this allows us to do is this exactly is interesting one. um um lee strafford who used to be the chairman of sheffield wednesday uh -huh. in a very very difficult period in the <clears throat> in about 2000 and 
eight, I think, 2009, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit before that. And, and he, this is a slightly left field, but it's related. Um, when he took over, one of the things he did was he showed a, a what we call it in English, I don't know what, probably the same term actually, but a totalizer for season ticket sales on the website, showing you how much the club was getting in advance from the fans by them buying season tickets because obviously advance income is massively important and if you get a big a big amount of seed and um and i always really liked that and felt i mean you know the guy who ran all of that was an absolute and i can't remember his name now but he doesn't work in football anymore he promotes sheffield as a destination as a place but he's um it was just brilliant what they did because it was just about peeling back some of the mystery but it was also saying um it was also saying yeah well is well this is saying but but it's not just being tipped into this bucket called player wages we do other things with this money one thing i would suggest though and this is sort of what i thought you were going to say when you started explaining this idea that mm-hmm. you know this company sponsors us and now we can spend the money on say say why wouldn't a company sponsoring, let's say, let's say, you know, I don't know, a championship club over here, yeah. which which will, regardless of whether we like it or not, struggle to do much more than spend money on wages because that's the way that competition works and it's pressured. Why not have a sponsor that comes in and goes, we will pay for the conversion of, of 5,000 um, seats into safe standing? Mm-hmm. as part of our sponsorship deal and i don't know what it would cost it might cost you know more than the sponsorship deal but there might be ways of doing that and i was thinking actually that could be a really amazing opportunity for for brands and companies that want to associate themselves with football in a unique way yeah. in a different way rather to you know to bring some extra value and to reduce the friction that well, exists between commercial Commercial exactly. and, and I think that this Corona crisis, uh, we've already discussed uh, the the, ne- the e- unprecedented negative in- financial impact it will have on clubs, and let's hope clubs can survive uh, this crisis because even after all the vaccinations, even the year after, two years after, I'm not sure if we will still go back to full capacity straight away. So there will still be a lot of difficulties, but. I think that clubs will get to the point of revaluing commercial assets they have and that you need to have some of the first movers that are now going to say, indeed, like you pitched, why not have a sponsor of the, um, of the Fanatics uh, stand behind the goal, for example. And it doesn't mean that it needs to be because sponsor often gives a bit of a, eh, a bit of a bit of a bad taste in your mouth. It's like uh, over commercialization, but explain it in a way that fans will have to benefit from it. Hey, these guys are paying for your safe standing. Doesn't mean that you all need to shout the uh, shout the brand name uh, five times during a match. No, but at least they they've paid for that, and this is something they will uh, will. Um, uh, make happen for you. We cannot afford it, but they can. So they will, think, they will do that. I think, Baz, you might have hit on an idea there that you get everyone to chant the sponsor's name. <laughs> that, would take, that, that would that that'll be a separate that'll be a separate podcast where we discuss that rather controversially. Well, here's, um, here's another example that you could do, uh, which I find interesting as well. Uh, it's a thought that I've had. Why not? If 
because we were talking naming rights of, of stadiums, why not as a sponsor, if you understand what the, the, the symbolism is of the old stadium name, why not say, you know what, we will, we will, we're, for in Dortmund's example, uh, if, if Signal Iduna will ever stop, therefore it will not be called Signal Iduna Park anymore, the next naming rights sponsor just say, hey, you know what, we're paying for this. We are a local brand because this research also showed that brands, local brands, uh, also have uh, often get less fan resistance than uh, brands that are not locally. We are a local brand from Dortmund. We are we have acquired the new naming rights sponsors, meaning we can name it whatever we want. Why not say, you know what? From this point on, we're giving it back to the fans. Now it's called the Westfalen Stadium again. Make a small annotation by blah, 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 whoever it is, uh, whatever your brand is. Make sure that you communicate this properly so you as a brand are being perceived as this, this God, God's gift that, uh, that gives the original. Baz, it's a smart, it's a very smart idea. And it, and it and is what I was thinking myself was, well, look, hand it back. And actually, exactly. Well, positive feeling about a, a brand and a company a service or whatever it's not always by everyone just repeating the what the, the you know the i'm sorry to keep saying it baz but the amsterdam toilet seat stadium it's not about repeating, it's not about repeating the name all the time yeah. good feeling and good a pre good pre, being well disposed to a brand yeah. or a company isn't simply about repeating their name sometimes or singing it in the stadium sometimes it's it's about you've done something to generate the goodwill and people don't forget it because yes, no one exactly and that will lead into more positive brand perception no. which is one of the goals of those sponsorships in the first place 